two people and tell them, welcome home. Tell two people next to you, welcome home. I hope that you feel welcome as you walk into an environment where God not, to, wants, not only wants to meet you, but the Lord wants to change you. So, and I'm going to say this again. I know Pastor Casey said it, but it, man, if this is your first time here, I'm going to say it again. Welcome home. We're super excited that you're here we're, we teach out of series is what we do a lot of times. We pick a topic or a, a, a book in the Bible, and we teach out of it for a certain amount of weeks. And over the last five weeks, we've, we've been in a series called The Core. Say The Core. The core. What is the core? The core is the center of something, right? So we, 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 what we're learning in this series is if we understand what the center or the core is to God, and we make that the center or core of who we are, then that's going to change us for the better. And when we get better, everybody gets better, right? When we get better, our spouse will get better. Our, our friends will get better. Our relationships will get better. So that's what God is teaching us in this series. And uh, something that we are at Meadows, one of our core values is we're family, right? Now, now turn to two people that you're not related to and tell them we're family. We're family, that you're not, see, we're family. We're, that'll teach you to be careful about who you sit by, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, we are family. And we do life together. It's what we believe in doing. Uh, my family, so I grew up in a family of six. I'm the youngest of six kids. Um, so I have four sisters and one brother, and we're all pretty tight. It's six kids in eight years. And uh, yeah, I know. You, that's right. I don't know. I still don't know how that's physically possible. I'm, I'm, apparently it is. So six kids in eight years, youngest of six. And part of my message prep for this week was I wanted to find you, or I wanted to show you a Facebook worthy pic of my family when we were young. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say it straight up. It took me almost all of my message prep time to try to find you that. To find a picture of me and my family where we look good, where, yeah, like this. This is a Facebook pic right here. We're all happy. That's, that's me right there, the little guy right there, wearing red pants. I mean, I don't know why my mom would dress me like a clown. That's why I hate clowns. I mean, so we obviously believe in the right to bear arms at a young age. So, uh, that, but that's, that's the Gannon household. And this picture took me literally a long time this week to find because um, it's just hard to find a picture of the Gannon kids where we are looking fairly normal. What didn't take me a long time was to find a pic where we, we didn't look normal or it was normal to us. This is a pic of the real Gannon family. This is us, okay? That's me in the middle a couple years later, human wishbone, getting pulled by my brother, pulling my sister's hair, sister in the background just enjoying herself watching it, waiting for the popcorn. It's like, that's the Gannon family. That's, so we have Facebook. And then we have real life. That, my friends, is real life for our household. But we did life together. And that's who we were. And that's who we are as a church. If you're new, you picked a great weekend to come. Because you're going to find out what really is the heart of Meadows Church. We, we are family. It's one of our core values. We believe in doing life together. Because we believe, and this is the title of today's message, we believe we're better together. Say that. We are better together. We are better together. That is what we believe. And we're not just going to proclaim it, but we actually live it out. So let me ask you a question. As we set ourselves up for what God has for us today, a question for you. Who are you doing life with, really? Who, do you do, who are you doing life with? Now, what I'm not asking is, who are you married to? I'm not asking who your kids are. I'm not asking who lives in the home with you or who you go to school with. They, they could be people that you do life with, so that could be the answer, but that's not the, the, the question, who do you do life with? Well, I could preface it by saying, who in your life is bringing you closer to God? 
Because when I talk about doing life, see, life, Jesus brings life. And when you're doing life with somebody, that person's going to bring you closer to God. And I think they're, you're, the people that we hang out with, it's one or two things. They're either going to bring you closer to Jesus or further away. I don't really believe there's like this in-between thing. I just don't. I just, and when I look at my life, so are the people in your life, are they bringing you closer? Are you growing spiritually because of the people you're hanging out with? So what do you mean growing spiritually? I, I, I like to simplify things. I'm not that smart of a guy, so I keep it simple. Spiritual growth, this is what it is. I love God more than I used to love God. I love people more than I used to love people. If you love people more today than you did a year ago, you've grown spiritually. If you love God more today than you did a year ago, you've grown spiritually. That's the bottom line. You, that is the goal, is to love God more and to love people more. But it doesn't happen alone. It happens together. We are better together. And, and, and so churches, there's no perfect church. In Meadows, we are far from it. But I, I, I say it all the time. We will point you to a perfect God every weekend. And if you pursue him, your life will change. I promise you. So, but churches, there's no perfect church. And because we're in it. You know, as soon as you walked in, it wasn't perfect. I'm sorry if that hurt your feelings. As soon as I walked in, it was far from perfect. Because that's it. We're people and we're fallen. But if there's one church that ever got it right and they weren't perfect, it was the first church, right? The first church, if they, I mean, they knew Jesus. Like, they hung out with him. They walked with him. So if they ever understood the heart of what Jesus wanted his church to look like, it would have been this early, these early Christ ones, they were called. It's where we get the, where we get the term Christian. They, they were Christ ones, followers of the way. It, it, Jesus is another name for him. So they, something supernatural happened with the first church. And the more that I look at what God is doing in Meadows Church over 15 months, the more that God is saying, you know what, Monty? If we can get our church to wrap around what the first church did, how they loved, how they pursued Jesus, how lives were impacted, if we can get about that heart, we will see revival like never before in our city and in your families and in our churches. They saw revival. So let me set it up. If you brought a Bible or a mobile device with the Bible app, go to Acts the book of Acts, it's after the gospel, so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That starts the New Testament, and those all tell the story of Jesus' life. If you don't know where to start in reading the Bible, start in the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can't go wrong. After that, we go into Acts, because when Jesus, Jesus, this is what happened. I'll, I'll, get, I'll just kind of spoil it for you. Jesus died on a cross, and he rose from the dead. He appeared to people, a lot of people, uh, hung out for uh, 40 days, left, went up in the clouds, and 10 days later, the church began. That's where we pick it up in Acts. So this is 50 days out from the resurrection. This is where, there it is. So I should have told you, it's verse 42. So Acts 2, 42. God, uh, God, I pray right now that you speak boldly through this message, God. Meet these people where they need to be met, God. Don't leave them where they're at. Be good to us, God. We will love you. We will pursue you. We'll, we will give you glory for this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Says all the believers, say all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, that's a big deal, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. That is a huge verse. Let me keep, let me keep reading a few more, though, for you. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles, not Jesus, but the apostles, the people, performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together and they shared everything they had. They sold property, they sold possessions, they shared money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. 
They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God throughout it all, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. I keep hearing the word all. It's like they're better together. And each day the Lord added to their number, to the fellowship, those that were being saved. Something about the first church, what they were doing, God loved it. And when God loves something, he's going to anoint it and bless it. And when that happens, it grows because healthy things grow. They grow. It is a natural if something isn't healthy, there's a, there's a disease, there's a sickness. Find the sickness, get rid of it, and the health begins. The first church was jacked up, but, but, but they were devoted. I keep hearing that word. Look at the first verse. I'll read it one more time for you. All the believers devoted. Say devoted. Devoted. They were all in. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, so they devoted themselves to God's word is what we're reading. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Okay. So they devoted themselves to the body of Christ, to the church. It wasn't a group. It was, it, it was a group. It wasn't a building. It wasn't a steeple. It wasn't a, wasn't a place. It was a person. So they devoted themselves to fellowship they, in sharing and meals together. So they devoted themselves to small groups. They devoted themselves to a life group is what we would call it at Meadows Church. They devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. We'll celebrate that later today. Um, and they devoted themselves to prayer. They bathed it all in prayer. Okay, wow. So if that formula seemed to work for them, I think we should maybe gravitate to that and see if it'll work for us. Because it's not an if. It will work for us if we get about the Father's business. The first thing that God wants you to know is this. You've got to be intentional. Say intentional. You've got to be intentional if you want to grow closer to God. It will not happen by accident. We have to be intentional if we want to grow closer to God. The first church, these early Christ ones, they were intentional. You know what devoted is? It's intentional. They were intentional. Church, church wasn't just something that they would maybe do if there was nothing better going on on a Sunday. It's like, well, it wasn't option seven. It wasn't even option two. It was option one. Like on Super Bowl Sunday back then, they didn't wake up and say, well, I guess we can hit church today because the Super Bowl's not till five. Well, I don't know, sweetie. The pastor's kind of long-winded. It, it, it could go a while. By the way, you know, when a pastor, you know what it means when a pastor takes his watch off? This is a big deal. And sets it up here like this. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. So anyway, so I mean, so uh, yeah, so we could be here a while. I'm just kidding. Um, so the, here's the key: they were devoted, and God blessed it. But devoted means intentional. And, and, and there's something about. I guess you could say it this way: and they weren't just going to church or the temple each day. They were being the church each day. See, I, I think there's when 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 we get to a point. When we get to a point where, where, where God, instead of just being a passing thought in our minds, God becomes a priority in our lives, then, say then, then our lives will change, right? Then we will see the hand of God move in your families and move in your children and move in your churches and move in your communities. That's what God does. That's what he shows us. This is so key that you catch this. I keep saying it won't happen by accident. Okay, you have to go, you have to take a step. When you take a step, the Holy Spirit, God, he'll, 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 he'll meet you. But he's waiting. I think sometimes we're waiting on God, God show up, and God's like, I'm where I've always been. Just waiting on you. Take that step. Be devoted. Go all in on something. You know, invest. You got to invest. Like with anything, you want a healthy business, you're going to invest in it. You want a healthy family, you will invest in them. 
You want a healthy marriage? You invest in it, right? It, 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 it's the same with the relationship with God. I tell my kids, little investment equals little growth. You get, you, you, you get what you put in, right? And I'm, so I'm trying to teach my kids like this principle with compound interest. Now I got one, one kid, Ava, she's 13, she, she likes money. So she gets it. She's like when I give illustrations like that, she's like, yeah, she gets excited. Jake, he, he's 11, he could care less. He's, money don't mean as much to him, so I gotta find another illustration. But I teach them, I, t- I say, kids, compound interest is so powerful. It's about what you invest. And it's not so much even the, 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 the one time one hits, like, pastor, I've gone to church a couple times, didn't work. Well, <laughs> it's gonna take more than a couple times. We're in for the long haul. I tried reading the Bible for 10 minutes one day, and it didn't, didn't do it for me, so I'm done. It's not a little investment equals little growth, but investment over the long haul. So I tell my kids, I'm like, listen, kids, here's the deal, because you always want to explain the why behind the what. And I said, Jake, Ava, if you start investing your money, like, like just a little bit, like, like a, a little bit, like you're young, and you keep doing that every day or every week, that's, gonna, that's a big deal. And I explain the why. The why is... Dad's not getting any younger. See, and you'll be taking care of me when you're older. And the more money you have, the better it's going to be for all of us. Do you understand that? I try to help them. They don't get it. So, but here's the deal. Let's talk about investing for a second. And this isn't even about that. But it's a principle that you understand. Little investment equals little growth. Invest five bucks a day, right? That's a, that's a Starbucks. That's a latte a day. Latte a day. That's a latte a day. Five bucks a day. Invest that in 10% interest over 10 years. $30,000. And I told my kids that, and they're like, gosh, that's a lot of money. I'm like, yes, it's compound interest, kids. But that's even a little investment. What if you bumped it up time-wise, and you said, instead of 10 years, I'm going to do 30 years, three times. So they're like, oh, 30,000 to 90,000. I said, no, 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 it's compound interest. It goes from 30,000 to 330,000, that five bucks a day. See, there's something about investing for the long haul. And I want us to be a church where we're all in for the long haul. It's like people give up so quickly on their dreams. Well, it didn't work. Business didn't work. Marriage didn't work. You know? what? There's something about... It's it's the long haul. The, the, The early disciples were in it for the long haul, and God used them to change the world. Now, that illustration I give you about compound interest, that doesn't even factor in God. That's just the worldly illustration. That's just, you know, 10% based on history of what maybe the stock market might do. What if you were to sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus? What if you were to sprinkle in God, the ultimate component in the formula? Think about what would happen. That is how the early church, Acts 2, you know how big the church was? Over 3,000 at that time. You know how how big it was a day earlier? About 120. So how does God multiply a church from 120 to over 3,000 like that? Because God's in the business of changing lives. And God's math is not our math. It's what God does. See, there's something, something supernatural that we don't, I, I, I want you to understand. There's things that we'll look at in life and we, you can put your mind to it. You can put your formulas to it. You can put the worldly values to it. Until you put God in the center of it, it won't change. And something supernatural happens when we come together in his name. When we open up God's word and we read it aloud. When, when we unite by faith and seek him together in prayer. See, when you and I do that, we will experience the power and the presence of God like never before. And the world will never be the same. It will change you. It will, that's what they did. It's what they did. I want to know more about the first church, God, because something supernatural was happening. So we know that they got in God's word. 
We know that they got around godly people. We know that they, they got to church. We know that they got on their knees. And we know that when they did their part, God did his. They did miracles in God's name. The same power that, gave, that equipped them to do miracles, you have access to. If you are a follower of Jesus, his Holy Spirit that, that anointed them, when Peter preached, that's how, they were, that's how they were so changed. The world can't manufacture that. That's the power of Jesus in you. It is, it is supernatural. That's what makes it so incredible. I want to read a couple more verses. You've heard them, but I want to read them again. And you'll catch the word real quickly. Verse 44, it said, all the believers met together. Say it together. Together. In one place, they shared everything, sold it all, property, possessions, shared everything they had with those in need, worshiped together. Say together. 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 Again. They were better together at the temple each day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared meals with great joy and generosity. It's amazing when we get out of ourselves and into somebody else's life, it brings us joy. See, we live in such a self-centered, selfish world, and you're, looking to, you're, talking, you're listening to Mr. King Selfish right here. I mean, it's one of my biggest shortcomings. And God's still working on me. I got so far to go. But I'm telling you, when we get out of ourselves, when we get about the Father's business, start loving others, it brings you joy. But it won't happen by accident. That's what God is teaching you today. You gotta be intentional. It won't happen in isolation either. It won't happen in isolation. And, and, and you, do you know you could be in a big crowd of people like, like we are right here? You can be surrounded by thousands of people and be the most isolated person in the world. You can, be, you can, you can have 4,000 friends on Facebook and be the loneliest person that is walking the earth. Do you know that? We're more connected now than ever. We are more connected now than we've ever been in history. We're more connected. And we've never been lonelier. Ever. That's what stats will tell you. So something is amiss. Why is that? It's because you weren't created to do life alone. You weren't. God shows us that right in the beginning of the Bible. You can go to the first page of the Bible, Genesis, that's the first book, the first chapter. God says it. God's creating things. You can read chapter, actually you can read verse 12. You can read verse 18, verse 21, verse 25 in chapter 1. You read all those verses, you know what you're going to find out? God created something, said it was good. God created the vegetation, it's good stuff. Stars in the sky, said it was good. People, said it was good. He's creating all these things. Animals, said it was good. So then in verse 31, he says, it says he looks at everything and said, it said all that he made was very good. Chapter 2. We go to chapter 2 in Genesis and something has changed. Something's happened. And, and, and God says this. God, God says, it's actually verse, verse 18 in chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, well, well, before you even get to that, let me just tell you. What you're going to hear is God, remember how it was all good in, in, in chapter 1? In chapter 2, God looks at something and says, this ain't good. It's the first time he ever says it. Like, remember, this is good. I made that, it's good. I made that, it's good. And all of a sudden, chapter 2, God looks at something he created, and he said, that ain't good. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You were thinking, it was the cats, wasn't it? He hated the cats, right? And that's a good guess. That is a great guess. Um, so I, sometimes I get in interesting conversations with people, and I met with a couple and I, this is a true story. And she said to me, she said, Pastor, we, you know, we like the church, like your messages, but, you know, I really have a heart for, she, you know, she's like the cat lady. She has 14 cats. She goes, I don't like when you talk, when you make fun of cats. 
And that's what she told me. And I, I didn't say this out loud, but I thought to myself, I don't even really hate cats. It's just, you know, it's just a, it's something fun. I mean, I, I actually think they taste great, you know? You put a little steak sauce on I mean, they're not anyway, so they don't, they don't come here anymore. But anyway, um, so where was my cat? It wasn't the cats. It, it was verse 18, and God said, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. That's what God actually said. It's not good for me. It tastes like chicken. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll create a helper who's just right for him. That's what, that's what God said. So what does God do? God, like, him and Adam are hanging out, and he gets Adam, and he knocks Adam out and puts him in a deep sleep. That's what the Bible says. It's kind of a weird deal, but that's what that God can do whatever he wants. And God, God knocks Adam out and takes Adam's rib out and does that surgery on Adam and creates Eve. And it's awesome. And you can picture it, can't you? Adam gets up out of a groggy sleep, and it's kinda, he's kind of hazy, and wakes up to this beautiful woman standing there naked, just the way God intended, right before him. And she's standing there, and Adam's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> he's like, whoa, man. And God's like, is that what you want to call her? Whoa, man. Yeah, okay, woman it is. And God's, and that's how we got the word. It's not really true. That's not how we got the word. But you get it. But that's how God created Eve from Adam's rib. And, and so God said it's not good for Adam to be alone, so he creates Eve. Now they're not alone anymore. So question for you and for I. Did God need, for what God wanted to accomplish in the world, did he need to create Eve? No, he didn't. I'll take it a step farther. For God to do what God wants to do in the world, did he even need to create Adam? Really, he didn't. God can do all God wants to do by God alone. He is God. He can do whatever he wants, and he can make it happen. He can accomplish it. Accomplish it. But here's the key that, I, that is so key to this message. It wasn't about, God wasn't about being accomplishing something. God was about the relationships. He, he made Adam because he wanted to have a relationship with Adam. He made Eve so they could have a relationship together and with God. It was about relationships. And that is another key point. It is not about accomplishments. It's not about accomplishments. We live in such a, a driven world, we're going we're gonna to take the next hill, and we're going to get to this goal and that goal. And should you have goals? Yes. Should you set, have dreams? Yes. But at the end of the day, see, here's what the devil wants you to believe. I'll tell you this. The devil wants you to believe that your purpose can be fulfilled through accomplishments. That's what he wants you to believe. That's what he wants you to believe. At the end of your life, boy, if you, you do all these things, man, you're going to make a difference in the world. What God wants you to know is that, is that your purpose will be accomplished through relationships, right? This is the key. See, the world is not going to be changed by anything that you and I do, but the world will be drastically transformed by how we love. For God says, you will know my disciples by the way that they love one another. When we get about that, we will change. People will change and lives will be transformed. That's the key. Man, I just did a funeral yesterday. You know what they didn't do? They didn't talk about all, they didn't pull out her degrees. They didn't pull out her high school um, diploma. They didn't pull out her, her, her college graduate. And those, are those things important? Yes. Not saying you shouldn't, again, achieve. But they can't be the end game. Of the stories I kept hearing, man, she impacted that family and this family and that kid and that person. That's all I kept hearing. It's, it, it is about relationships. We've got to do life together. It's so, so, so today, obviously, Super Bowl, right? Big day, Super Bowl. And I'm a, I'm a huge football fan. 
you know, why God didn't allow the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, I'll never understand it. I'll ask him when I get there. Don't get it. But you know they should be there, and I know they should be there, but that's a whole nother deal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there we go. So anyway, so here's the king. Big day. The Super Bowl, big accomplishment. The, football is the most popular sport in America. The NFL is the upper, the elite of the elite playing the game that you and I love so much. The, the number one thing they're going for, everybody, the Lombardi Trophy, the Super Bowl rings, right? That's it. That is the goal. That is what they want to accomplish. That's a, we got to get there. We got to accomplish. And they, and they pay thousands or millions of dollars, millions of dollars to achieve this goal, to accomplish this feat. What if I were to ask you who won the Super Bowl two years ago? Could you tell me? Patriots. See, now, if you know that, first of all, you have no friends, okay? Gosh. I mean, how would you know? Anyway, so uh, there's always somebody. You know why you knew that? Because you just guessed Patriots. You're gonna, you know you got a good chance. I mean, they win it every other year, which is another reason I don't want them to win it this year. You know, come on, quit hogging all the trophies. Jeez. But the Patriots did win. And, but, but I tell you what, if I asked you three years ago, four years ago, I mean, it's an accomplishment. Is it a big deal? Yeah. But as soon as they win that one, we're already looking at the next year, and it never ends. You know what team has never won the Super Bowl is a team that uh, a lot of my friends, it's their favorite team. It's the Minnesota Vikings. So the Vikings never won the Super Bowl. Not sure they ever will. I'm not saying, and whatever, you know. Um, but I learned something this week. I learned that uh, there's an award out there. It's not the Lombardi Trophy. It's not the Super Bowl ring. But it's called the Walter Payton Man of the Year. And I, and I heard about this, and, I, and, I, and, I, and there's nominees every year from these teams that, it's, and it's not what they accomplish, it's not how many touchdowns they catch, it's not how many yards they get, it's not how many, how many catches they have, but it's about the difference that they make in the lives of the community. And, and, I, and I heard about the Minnesota Vikings, his name's Kyle Rudolph, and he got nominated, and I just want you to, just want you to check out the screen and just watch this real quick. Dear Kyle. 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 Words could never fully express how thankful we are for everything you've done for our family. I'll never forget the first time we met you. Anton had been in the hospital for over 100 days and it was finally discharge day. His doctors told him he could go home and Anton burst into tears and said, but I was gonna meet the Vikings. They of course said he could wait and stay to meet you guys. And he was beyond excited. I'll never forget the look on his face and the happy squeal he let out when we opened the door to his hospital room to greet you guys. My brother, Anton, loved you. You meant a lot to Anton, which means a lot to me. Every time someone said Vikings or Kyle, Anton's face would light up the whole room. Every day at the hospital was pain for Anton, but he always seemed happy, especially when you walked through the door. When asked if Anton liked Spider-Man, he said, no, just the Vikings. All the heartache melted away the moment he met you. Anton was in his stroller and he said in a very manipulative but cute way, I would love to go to one of your games. It was the first time since moving to Minnesota for Anton's bone marrow transplant that we were able to walk away from all the medical stuff and just enjoy hanging out as a family. We got to sit in a suite and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I kind of felt royal. Anton would yell every time something would happen. I have a feeling he didn't know the rules, but was still really into it. We laughed and cheered and ate more than we should have. It's one of my favorite memories of our time in Minnesota and the last outing we had as a family before Anton passed away. 
You gave us a gift that we'll carry with us for the rest of our lives. What game do we go to? Go Anton, who won? the game, Anton got really sick really fast. I'll never forget when you walked in and we told Anton that you were there. He opened his eyes and gave the sweetest little smile. There was no media there. You didn't post it all over social media. You just came to love on our family and our sweet boy. Anton never got to have a wish granted because his sweet life was shorter than any of us anticipated. But I can assure you that everything that you did for him was far beyond anything he could have asked for. Kyle, you stepped into hard places, loved on our boy and our entire family, and in doing so, changed all of our lives forever. My son Jeffrey, now 23, was born with spina bifida. He has always loved watching sports and growing up. I finally remember Kyle walking over at one football game and giving Jeffrey his gloves. From then on, Jeffrey wore them to every game. A lot of kids, one in high school, would ignore, snub, or walk away from kids like Jeffrey, but not Kyle. So of course, when Kyle was drafted in the NFL, we didn't expect the big NFL player to have time for our son or to keep his number in his phone. But again, we were wrong. He still responds to his texts and texts Jeffrey to this day. He has sent him tickets to games, autographed balls, pictures, and posters. But what means the most to Jeffrey is the text, the contact, makes his day, makes his week. Seeing the 82 jersey around our community means something because Kyle is a role model that parents relish for their children. Still gives me chills thinking about it. Big man, thanks for turning out the way you did. Kyle, you are one of the kindest, most humble and compassionate people. You blessed our family. I don't know how to thank you, but I will keep trying until I get it right. Guys like Kyle don't come around very often. You're a great person and we love you so much. In my eyes, you are a true hero. A genuine superstar. Your willingness and enthusiasm brings hope and motivates so many. We look out to the skyline of Minneapolis and U.S. Bank Stadium with pride and passion for the Minnesota Vikings and you, Kyle, are a huge reason for that. You're Superman, Kyle. Not only to me and our girls, but to those kids. We have always and will always be blown away by the generosity and kindness you have shown our family. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. Sincerely, the Wilbur family. Sincerely, Cindy Osborne. All my love. From Judah. From Kenya. And as Anton would say, Boo Packers, they're stinky. Love the Delgado family. So I guess you tell me what matters I don't think Kyle cares probably too much whether they ever hoist a trophy. I'm sure it's a goal that he has written down and he street, or strives for, but the fact that he's intentional about getting in the lives of people like, like Anton and Jeffrey and many others, that legacy lives on. And that's what truly matters. And that's what I want us to be about as a church. Now, I've, you've heard me talk about life groups and I could share with you stories about our, our small groups that the stories are unbelievable, where I see a church-loving community reaching out to people that uh, they don't have to be a part of Meadows for us to love them, believe it or not, but we just want to love people so they can feel the love of Jesus. Notice what the one guy said, his, his son was Jeffrey. 
He said it wasn't anything else but the contact. It was the contact. It was the text. It was the love. It was the relationships. It was the relationships. It was the time that he spent loving our family. They'll never forget it. The Lombardi Trophy will be forgotten. The impact that was made in those kids and those families, never. It's why I tell you, I, if you're new, man, soak it in. God loves you so much and he has you here for a reason. He's not done with you if you thought he was. He's not mad, if you, mad at you if you thought he was. He, um, he hasn't given up on you if you thought he was. He brought you here to show you that, that your best days lie ahead of you, but they happen together. We need each other. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I need you. Tell them, I need you. Hear it from your pastor directly to you. I need you in my life and with my family. I desperately need you. Desperately. Don't have time to share a lot of stories. I'll just tell you that God is doing something supernatural in the groups. And maybe you're not in a life group today. Today is the day you can actually inquire. The connection cards, connect, connect cards, just write life group on there with your information. We'll contact you. Doesn't mean you're committing to anything. It just means you're open to hearing what they're about. The truest form of the church, I don't even believe it's what we're doing right here. I believe it happens during the week in, in pockets of people getting together, loving each other, living it out, serving the community, being the church. Not because we need to get more people to church to build a big church. It's, it's because people need love. It's because people are dying on the inside. It's because people have no hope. And we know, the, we know the one who gives it. We know the author and perfecter of our faith. We know him. And for us to keep it to ourselves and say, you know what? It's just about me and my family. We're going to do our thing during the week. Or me and my life group. And we're going to do life together and never let anybody else in. Are you kidding me? And some of you, I'll say it, I know that you've been hurt. Anytime you open yourself up to, to love, true love, there's an opportunity for pain. Always is. Always is. And if you've been burnt in relationships or in a church or in a marriage or with a friend that you thought was a friend, I'm sorry, but I'm telling you, life waits for you. Love waits for you here. And to say that, you know what, I got burnt once, so I'm not going to open up again. I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't want to feel that pain anymore. To say that, I mean, that isn't living. It's existing. And Jesus, Jesus Christ didn't go to a cross and take nails in his hands and his feet so that we might just exist. He, he, Jesus went to the cross and Jesus rose from the dead so that you might live and have life to the full. That's why he came. It's why you're here. We're, we got to do it together. I can't imagine doing it alone. I need you in my life. We need each other. We need each other. I just want to be real. I don't want to play church. I grew up doing it, going through the motions, sitting in a chair, checking it off a list, and nothing changed. I want to make a difference in your life. I want you to make a difference in your life. You know the number one person you should be investing in? You. Because when you invest in you, and you pour Jesus into you, then your spouse gets better. Then your kids get better. Then your schools get better. Then your community gets better. Invest in you. Take a step. Check out a group. God has so much in store. Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered, where two or three together, 
Say together. This is a good word. Together. I am there among them. So supernaturally, something happens, Jesus, when we come together. So is that what you're saying? That something powerful, more powerful than I was than if I was just alone happens? Yes! Yes, relationships are critical. They're beautiful. The first church, they were unified. I want unity. I want love. We won't get it right. We're messy. People are messy. We screw up all the time, but I want to love each other despite our flaws. They were unified. God was magnified and the church was multiplied. And when we as Meadows Church or as a family, when we are unified and the Lord Jesus Christ is magnified, followers of Jesus will be multiplied. Am I right? They will be multiplied. People will find life. So as we close with talking about this first church, a church that I just want to get to know more, because I want, that's what I want the model for Meadows to be. They were so messed up. It's just like us, a place where it's okay to not be okay. I'm not okay. I don't know about you, but I don't, my life is so far from to get together. But I love the Lord, and I want you to know him. Why were they so passionate, the first church? Why? Seven weeks earlier, they weren't passionate. They weren't. Seven weeks earlier, there was no church that didn't exist. Seven weeks before Acts 2, there were no Christ ones. There were no Christians. It wasn't a thing. What if I told you seven weeks before Acts 2, there weren't any, any believers. They're used, they're, if they did believe, they weren't no longer believing. It's a fact. When they took Jesus' body off the cross, the believing ended. And the reason I can tell you that, it, well, they, first of all, they anointed his body for burial, okay? It was over. Secondly, on, on, on Easter Sunday, notice that John and Peter, because you're thinking right now, well, what about the disciples? What about Jesus' mom? Guess what? On Easter Sunday, when Jesus predicted he would rise, uh, they, they weren't camped out there waiting. They didn't have their phones ready for the Insta story. Like, oh my gosh, remember what Jesus said? It's happening today. You might say, well, wait a minute, those women, what about the women that went to the tomb to, 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 to go see Jesus? They didn't go to the tomb to see a resurrected Jesus. They went to anoint, reanoint a dead body. That's what scripture says. The women who discovered that the tomb was empty, they didn't go there because, oh my gosh, he's gonna be alive. They were expecting a dead body, right? And I'll say it this way, nobody that day was expecting there would be no body in the tomb. Nobody was expecting that. They weren't expecting it. What they thought is, he's dead and dead people stay dead. Nobody expected it. There were no believers. But yet, after Jesus went to the cross and then was laid in the tomb and they expected that he's a dead body, he's gonna stay dead, the Bible says that this group of gals came and went to anoint his body, because that's what we do to dead things. We anoint them, and, and, and we preserve them. And they went there, and the stone was rolled away, and he wasn't there. And something changed in that moment. It's the biggest moment in history, actually. 
they realized that Jesus wasn't just stolen or misplaced, but a dead man had brought himself back to life. And when they saw that the tomb is empty, they very much soon realized that there was hope was alive, and there was hope for people, and love was here, and there were new days ahead, and God had a plan for their lives, and the church was being born, and lives would be changed forever. This is what was happening. The Christian faith is, is centered on one event. It's not the Word of God, though it is true, and it is, it is Scripture, and it's God-breathed. Believe that with all my heart. We'll never stop preaching that. But Christianity isn't there because the Bible's there. The, the first believers, the early church, they didn't believe in the resurrection because they read about it. There was nothing to read. There was no New Testament. You understand that? The Jewish scripture was there, the Old Testament. They weren't reading anything. They believed it because they saw it. They were eyewitnesses. And it was what they didn't see. I don't see Jesus in here. He's not there. He's out there. And he's alive. And they, they, they witnessed a man who was dead and was alive. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people. Hundreds. You can look up the scripture and see it for yourself. That's why they were on fire. That's why they met together. That's why they gave up their lives. That's why they were so, do you know that Jesus is alive? Do you know it? The resurrection is what defines our, my faith. The resurrection, if that didn't happen, the church is done. If that's not true, the church is done. If that's not true, Christianity is over. But Matthew wrote about it being done. Mark wrote about it. Luke wrote about it. John wrote about it. Peter wrote about it. James, his brother, who did not believe his brother was anybody. The Bible says it. You're nothing. And James is the center of the church now. Why? Because he saw his brother who was dead alive. That's why. That is why it exists. And for somebody here today, maybe you're like me, and you've believed in Jesus all your life, but you've never sold out to the fact that he's your king and your savior. And he's here, but he's not here. Today is your day. Today is the day that you can commit and say, Jesus Christ, I believe in the resurrection. I believe that you died to take away my sins, that you rose from the dead to defeat sin and death. And then when I call on your name, I will be saved. That's what the Bible says. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's why we celebrate communion. We're gonna have that together. Ushers are gonna put that out here and we're gonna close in a song and we're gonna have communion together. And communion is remembrance. The bread represents the body of Jesus. The drink represents his blood. Jesus poured it all out for us. Look at me, look at me. If you don't know, if you've never really asked Jesus Christ, you've never surrendered, you've never sold out. You were like me, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Bible stuff, but it's just not personal. You're living a life that is not even close to what God wants. That's why he brought you here. Commit your life to him. Record it on the card. Pray with our prayer team. Don't, please don't leave here. Don't leave here to go celebrate some Super Bowl when you don't even know if you're saved. You can be saved. You can know your heavenly home before you leave here. It can be assured. Call on the name of Jesus. Believe in his death and resurrection. Believe he is alive today with the Father and his Holy Spirit has been sent for all of us. And when you call on his name, his spirit goes from here to here and lives in you. That's how you have his power. That's what it means to be saved. And anybody that does believe, this is for you. This is why we, now if you're not a believer and you're not sold out to that, I love you. Please, thank you for being open. Please keep coming back. I'd love to go out to lunch and just hear your story. 
but you don't have to do this. This is for people that believe and, you know. But whether you believe or not, I want you to know you're loved by a king who believes in you, who loves you, and who will never give up on you. God is so good. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for your truth, for your word. There's something about together. There's something about you saying, I need, and, and you really don't need anything, God, but you wanted to create something in your image. And it was people. It was us. It was Adam. It was Eve. It was everybody after that created in your image. Not because you needed us to do something for you, but because you wanted to do life with us. But God, we let you down all the time. Oh, you forgive us. But God, we hurt you and we hurt people in our lives. Oh, but you went to the cross for us anyway? But God, we continually do things we know we shouldn't do. But your forgiveness is there day after day. If we will call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Anyone who calls on Jesus and believes he is God's son and that he died and rose, you can be set free today. God, I pray for people that need to step into community. I pray for the lonely and the broken and the hurting. I know they're here today, God. I've been there and some days I feel like I'm still there. But you've, been, you've ushered in an environment where it's okay to not be okay. God, you give people the courage and the strength to take their next step and, 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 and know that it's not because they need to accomplish anything or do anything. It's because you love them and you created them to love you and then so they could also love others. But we can't give out what we don't have, can we? We need your love. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with that fire from the first church. We want that, God. And the world will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody says, amen.